Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and I hope you'll give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. We've talked about some of the goings-on on Capitol Hill. We'll also visit with Scott Baer. He's the CEO of the Community Pregnancy Clinics, terrific organization. We'll also uh, visit with Michelle Avola-Brown. She's the executive director of Na- Naples Pathways Coalition. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of many books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boundaries and Box Boxes and Boundaries, I should say, My Life by Design by Larry Bell. <clears throat> it is March the 1st, and on this day in 1692 in Salem Village in Massachusetts Bay Colony, Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and Tatuba, an enslaved woman for Barbados, were charged with the illegal practice of witchcraft. Later that day, Tatuba, possibly under coercion, confessed to a crime, encouraging the authorities to seek out more Salem witches. Trouble, trouble in the small Puritan community began the month before when a 9-year-old Elizabeth Paris and 11-year-old Abigail Williams, the daughter and niece respectively of the Reverend Samuel Paris, began experiencing fits and other mysterious maladies. A doctor concluded that the children were suffering from the effects of witchcraft, and the young girls corroborated the doctor's diagnosis. With encouragement from a number of adults in the community, the girls, who were soon joined by other afflicted Salem residents, accused a widening circle of local residents of witchcraft, mostly middle-aged women, but also several men and even one four-year-old child. During the next few months, the afflicted area residents incriminated more than 150 women and men from Salem Village and the surrounding areas of the satanic practices. In June 1692, the special court lawyer to hear and terminer to decide convened in Salem under Chief Justice William Stoughton to judge the accused. The first to be tried was Bridget Bishop of Salem, who was found guilty and executed by hanging on June the 10th. Thirteen more women and four men from all stations of life followed her to the gallows, and one man, Giles Corey, was executed by crushing Most of these tried were condemned on the basis of witnesses' behavior during the actual proceedings, characterized by fits and hallucinations that were argued to be caused by the defendants on trial. In October 1692, Governor William Phipps of Massachusetts ordered the court of Oyer and Terminer dissolved and replaced with Superior Court of Judicature, uh, which forbade the type of a sensational testimony allowed in the earlier trials, executions ceased, and the Superior Court eventually released all those waiting trial and pardoned those sentenced to death. The uh, Salem Witch Trials, which resulted in the execution of 19 innocent women and men, had effectively ended. It's amazing what people can get wound up in, and uh, I don't think we have examples of this even in our modern-day life. We see how... Uh, things get a life of their own and can and move on in a very destructive, sometimes helpful, but very destructive way. U.S. stocks uh, markets closed higher yesterday. NASDAQ and F- S&P 500 went to all-time highs. Key inflation metric, personal consumption expenditures price index, rose 2.8% year over year, the slowest annual pace since March of 2021. So that's good news. The Senate on Thursday approved a stopgap funding bill to delay the deadline to avert a government shutdown. The upper chamber approved the measure to, in a 77-13 to 13 vote, the measure needed 60 votes to pass. The House approved the legislation earlier on Thursday in a 320-99 to 99 vote. Should President Joe Biden sign the package, it will extend the funding deadlines to March 8th and March 22nd, uh, respectively. I don't know why this is so important. Why couldn't they just close the government until they get the thing signed? Anyhow, the split deadlines are the result of a staggering continuing resolution passed in January that split the 12 annual appropriations bills into two groups. Budget disputes have been ongoing since last year and have been seen fierce internal Republican debates between debt hawks and the party's moderate wing over spending cuts. House Speaker Mike Johnson 
since assuming his post, has struggled to unite the desperate uh, GOP faction to the lower chamber behind a spending plan and discussion of a potential one-year-long continuing resolution has cast doubt on the prospect of reaching a conventional budget deal this year. We're rooting for Mike. I hope he pulls it off, but I know he's under a lot of pressure. Uh, but it should be no deal until the government, uh, in, until the border is closed down. Nevertheless, we'll talk uh, with uh, William Yateman a little bit uh, later in the show about this. Over 100 Palestinians were reportedly killed and at least 700 wounded in Gaza City yesterday after Israeli forces opened fire on crowds gathering near a convoy of aid trucks. A chaotic scene drew with conflicting accounts. Witness accused uh, Israeli troops of firing at residents receiving food supplies, while the Israeli claimed that the crowd stampeded towards the trucks and allegedly looted supplies. Israeli off- officials attributed many casualties to overcrowding, trampling, and being run over by the trucks and said that they would look into adapting its aid delivery protocols uh, in a better way. Hamas warned that the incident may uh, lead to a breakdown in negotiations over the release of roughly 100 remaining hostages and a potential ceasefire. Officials uh, brokering the deal uh, between Hamas and Israel previously said that a six-week pause in fighting in the exchange for hostage could be agreed upon quite soon. The incident uh, could also further complicate access to aid in Gaza due to a collapse of security in the enclave. At uh, at least one quarter of Gaza's 2.3 million people have faced starvation, according to the UN. Gaza's death toll now exceeds 30,000 per the Hamas-run health ministry, if you can trust that source. But nevertheless, there's a lot of folks. Unfortunate incident. Well, the Smokehouse Creek Fire became the largest wildfire in Texas state history with flames Rapidly spreading across the state panhandle in Oklahoma, roughly 1,700 square miles of primarily rural prairie and brush have been burned, with the blaze containment at about 3%. At least two people have been killed, including an 83-year-old woman whose home burned down in the town of Stinnett. State officials also noted thousands of livestock, mostly cattle, have likely perished as the wildfires swept through the region. The Panhandle is the home of 85% of the state's 12 million cattle, many of which are reportedly safe from the blaze. Officials say critical fire conditions, including high winds and low humidity, are expected to return over the weekend. To the north, a blizzard warning is in effect across the Sierra Nevada and Lake Tahoe, with as much as, get this, 10 feet of snow expected to accumulate in the mountains. Wow. So that's an update on the fire and what's going on in the weather in the West. Joe Biden took his second trip ever to the U.S. border, Mexican border, on Thursday, visiting one of the slowest sectors of the state, blaming Congress for failing to pass border initiatives while also touching on climate change. Uh, He made the trip on Thursday, the same day as former President Donald Trump uh, visited Eagle Pass. It's kind of a Me Too thing, I think. I think you heard the president was going, or uh, former President Trump was going to uh, the border, and he says, yeah, I'm going to do that also. He met with state Republican uh, Governor Greg Abbott. Now, that's uh, Trump. The president visited Brownsville, Texas, with encounters some of the fewest illegal immigrants in the state. As Biden faces backlash from his handling of the border crisis, he opened his remarks by discussing climate change in relation to the fires scorching Texas and Oklahoma. I've flown over a lot of these wildfires since I've been president. As a matter of fact, I've helicoptered into the west, into the southwest and northwest, Biden began. I've flown over more land burned to the ground. I get that, land burned to the ground. Oh, well. All of vegetation gone to the entire state of Maryland square footage. The idea that there's no such thing as climate change. I love that, man. I love some of my Neanderthal friends who still think there's no climate change. (laughs) Uh, That's Joe Biden. Oh, my goodness. Well, my administration is going to keep building on the progress we've made fighting climate crisis to keep help folks rebuild themselves in the wake of these disasters, Biden continued. You know, Biden's nerve knows no bounds from trying to copy Trump's border visit to ignoring the murder of an innocent American child and citizen, 22-year-old I'm speaking of now, the University of Georgia, it's clear that Biden is no more is more concerned with politics and PR than actually solving the issues plaguing our country. So again, he goes to the border, the least troubled area of the border in Brownsville, and uh, complains about climate change. 
Former President Donald Trump said he spoke with parents of murdered uh, nursing student Lakin Riley Thursday while visiting Eagle Pass in Texas. Trump visited the illegal immigration hotspot Thursday to give remarks on the border situation. During his remarks, Trump ripped Biden for not mentioning Riley, his alleged killer, Ibarra, an immigrant from Venezuela who crossed the U.S.-Mexico border illegally, was arrested by the University of Georgia police Saturday and charged with murdering the 22-year-old nursing student. Just one week ago, a beautiful 22-year-old nursing student from Georgia was barbarically attacked Almost unrecognizable while she was out on her morning run. She was on a morning run, he said. Uh, she was a beautiful young woman. She had a great person. She was a great person. Uh, best nursing student there was. I spoke to her parents yesterday, and they're incredible people who are devastated beyond belief. She was beautiful in so many ways and brutally assaulted, horrifically beaten, kidnapped, and savagely murdered, said Trump. The monster charged in her death is an illegal alien migrant who was led into our country and released into the communities by crooked Joe Biden, uh, Trump continued. He's crooked. I took the name away from Hillary because she's no longer relevant. I guess she was terrible, but that's what he's doing is unbelievable. Joe Biden will never say Lake and Riley's name, but we will say it and we will remember her. Uh, we're not going to forget her, he said. Uh, Trump also noted that other crimes reported... Uh, committed by illegal immigrants during the remarks, including a rape of a 14-year-old girl and a rape of a murder of an 11-year-old girl. President Trump staying on message and uh, addressing the issues on the border and some of the consequences that we're having to deal with, is, uh, the consequences of uh, having illegal aliens cross the border. It's a, it's a sad situation. And uh, Biden, of course, his uh, Me Too visit as well. Well, the Supreme Court on Wednesday agreed to hear arguments over former President Donald Trump's immunity claims in the special counsel Jack Smith's D.C. election case. The case is currently on hold in the Supreme Court's decision to maintain the status quo in that respect, but set oral arguments for April the 22nd. Uh, Trump has argued that he's immune from prosecution on the grounds of presidential immunity. Uh, Judge Tanya Chutkin rejected those claims, prompting Trump to appeal her decision, and so the, now, the case is now delayed. So glad the Supreme Court is taking this up. It's a big deal, and it certainly is a matter of constitutional consequence. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with William Yapen, Senior Legal Fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. And now serving dinner, 4 to 8 p.m., Wednesdays through Saturdays, a terrific menu. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Thank you. 
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Tim Jurett, candidate for Collier County Supervisor of Elections. Tim's a 33-year resident of Collier County, a military veteran, a retired sheriff's officer, and a graduate of the FBI National Academy. He stands for safe, secure, ethical elections in Collier County. Vote for Tim Jurett and check out his website, votefortimjurett.com, paid for by Tim Jurett, Republican for Collier County Supervisor of Elections. Uh, coming up, I'm going to visit with Scott Baer, the uh, CEO of the Community Pregnancy Clinics. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation. You bet. We're a nonprofit law firm, and we defend Americans for free from government overreach and abuse. A lot of that going on. It's a big market. <laughs> a lot. PacificLegal.org is the website. PacificLegal.org. Well, let's talk about what's happening. Let's, can you bring us up to date on what the uh, congressional spending bills and what's happening right now? Indeed. Uh, so latest update is more of the same, alas. And so for the fourth time this fiscal year, Congress punted um, uh, in order to uh, punted on a spending bill to avoid a government shutdown. The Senate by a 77 to 13 vote and the House by a 320 to 99 vote um, kicked the can uh, a week down the road. So whereas we faced a partial government shutdown this evening at midnight, that was extended one week to uh, March 8th. And what we can expect is nine spending bills all wrapped up into an aggregate uh, what is known as a minibus bill, um, will be released this weekend, and it'll have thousands upon thousands of pages, and lawmakers will have about 72 hours to digest that information um, before they vote on it uh, in advance of March 8th. So, again, very much more of the same. Um, this is the, exactly the sort of uh, uh, the opposite of regular order uh, that we, we have been bemoaning on multiple prior Fridays, um, so I don't have much good to say here. Well, and, and even if they are able to come up with the bills, is it possible that the Senate would, <laughs> or, or even the House would approve the bills? It, at this point, it looks like uh, I don't see any roadblocks developing. I mean, it's a fool's errand to prognosticate politics in this city, but right. it looks as though at least that first tranche, the, that nine um, spending bills wrapped up into the quote-unquote minibus, uh, is it, looking as though it's on track for passage, that there's going to be no serious roadblocks. That's great. Now, the final three spending bills, and they established a deadline for March 22nd on those, they in essence put the nine bills, the nine things they could all agree on, not all agree on, but mm-hmm. which they could find some agreement, agreement on in this first tranche. And then they uh, basically punted all the controversial spending bills to this second tranche, three uh, major spending bills, that's due on March 22nd, and I will note here, as I've noted on prior Fridays, they're operating under a clock, um, which is to say that if we persist in this stopgap funding measure mode through April, as a part of the Fiscal Responsibility Act passed last year, it would trigger automatic 1% cuts across the board 
that due to the weird calculus of, of budgeting on Capitol Hill would affect discretionary spending far more than it would military spending. Mm-hmm. So it's largely seen as, a, I guess, a win for um, true conservatives. Uh, but m- my point here is only this first night, the first minibus uh, appears to be a done deal. There could still be roadblocks for this second, more controversial batch of bills. Um, but at this point, it's anyone's guess. And just in the background lurking, if they cannot reach compromise in that second batch of bills, then it would trigger these automatic 1% cuts, which some in the Freedom Caucus have been advocating for. I'd be happy with that, too. So, uh, But I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for Mike Johnson. I hope he pulls it off. He's under a lot of pressure right now. Let's, yeah, that's to be sure. Let's move to uh, the Trump legal issues. Uh, can you give us an update? Well, shoot, it was all over the news this week, and no doubt your listeners have heard, but the big news was certainly that the Supreme Court um, took the question of presidential immunity. To what extent is a a president not liable, not subject to criminal prosecution for alleged official acts during his presidency? And the key takeaway here is is the timing, how it would impact Judge Chutkin's um, the, the January 6th trial that is currently on pause while this issue has wended its way up the courts. Um, And there seems to be consensus that we could expect an opinion sometime in June. Mm -hmm. Um, Now that opinion could could fall any number of ways. I mean, Trump could lose outright and the trial could commence immediately. Trump could pretend, I mean, it's a a low probability outcome, but he could win outright and discontinue the trial immediately. Or perhaps the Supreme Court could find, uh, could in essence kick the issue back down to the D.C. Circuit Court and require further legal analysis at a lower court, which is to say the situation is fluid. Um, but as we've spoken a number of times, let's say it were uh, they were to render a decision in uh, in June and the, the, the trial, uh, the January 6th trial, were to recommence immediately thereafter, Judge Chutkin has promised to give Trump three months to prepare, additionally, in the wake of all, of all these delays. Um, so that is to say, theoretically, um, were the Supreme Court to come down with a ruling in June and the trial were to proceed, it is possible that Trump would be in a federal courtroom in September and October of this year, you know, again, during the absolute height of the presidential campaign. And that's the sort of slow-rolling constitutional crisis that we've been warning about uh, that I've been discussing on, on you know numerous Fridays, but genuinely frightens me. I and mean, that's an unprecedented terra incognita situation whereby one administration is prosecuting um, their political rival in the midst of a heated presidential campaign. So, it, again, a fluid situation, but um, uh, we shall see. Yeah, we shall see. I, I personally am pleased that the Supreme Court has taken up this issue. I mean, it's a novel issue, and it needs to be addressed as it, it gets to the very basis of the Constitution and the and the executive power. So uh, I'm glad they're taking it up. I hope they make a good decision. Here, here. I mean, I'll just note there, I am doubtful that a president should enjoy, uh, enjoy absolute immunity from criminal prosecution for any criminal acts during his presidency. But I will say, as I understand it, and I'm not an expert here, but the D.C. Circuit's language was perhaps too loose and perhaps too broad and perhaps did invite a future in which these uh, political prosecutions became a norm. So... I agree with you. Um, I, I, uh, I'm heartened, not heartened, but I'm happy that the Supreme Court took this case, at the very least, to just clarify the law and to perhaps ward off any such, what I've called a slow-rolling constitutional crisis from occurring in the future. Absolutely. Hey, with just a little time we have left, can you comment at all on Fannie Willis's situation, what's happening? <sighs> the, the disqualification hearings are wrapping up today, and as I'm sure your listeners are aware, I mean, it's been a soap opera. There has been testimony all over the place, conflicting, and everyone giving this testimony is uh, they're lawyers. They have an ethical duty to tell the truth. Yeah. So it, it has been a hot mess. I've seen that's the exact term I've seen reporters use. Um, and again, that wraps up today, and we we expect a judge's ruling sometime in the next couple of weeks thereafter. William Yegman, again, senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. PacificLegal.org is the website. William, always appreciate your some well-informed commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Of course. Thank you, William. All right, coming up, I'm going to visit with Scott Baer. He's the CEO of the terrific organization, Community Pregnancy Clinics. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Uh-huh. 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Offices located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show. Are you seeking new customers or contacts for your business? Why not promote your business to our loyal listeners? Join Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, the Collier Senior Center, Lulabee's Diner, and many others who've been advertising on the show, in many cases, for years. The rates are reasonable, and there's no required long-term commitments or contracts. Let me help you promote your business to our loyal listeners here on The Bob Harden Show. Visit the website, bobharden.com, or send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. That's bobharden at hotmail.com. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now, we have with us Scott Beyer. He is the CEO of the Community Pregnancy Clinics, terrific organization. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. It's always great to be with you. Thank you, Scott. Tell us about the Community Pregnancy Clinics. Yes, we are the largest uh, group of uh, pregnancy resource centers in the state of Florida with uh, five office clinics all the way from Naples uh, all the way up to Gainesville, Florida. And uh, we provide pregnancy services for women in need, men and women in need. Um, And as our name suggests, we connect people with the community resources that are available to help them make the best decision for them. And, uh, And for us, that's hopefully choosing life. Indeed. And uh, the whole notion is that uh, there is an alternative to Planned Parenthood. There is an alternative to abortion. And uh, the resources that you're providing are just overwhelming. It's not just to get through the birth process, but it's also to help uh, the, the young family get oriented and, uh, and, and accustomed to a life together. That's right. So we like to say we're not just pro-birth, but we're pro-life for the whole life. Uh, and that includes pro-abundant life. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, when women typically find out uh, what's available to them, that choice between the difficult decision, right, to bring a new life into the world when you don't always have the the resources that you might need, uh, when they see what's available to them, um, you know, that's when the decision, the real choice becomes much more available to them, um, and then they're able to make that choice. And we we like to say, uh, unless a woman feels lovable, she's not going to be love-able. So we show that love, we connect them with the resources that are available to them, again, for the best decision for them, uh, which is always going to be to bring that new life into the world. You know, I've uh, been to uh, meetings, uh, annual meetings for community pregnancy clinics to see these young families after the fact. I mean, it's just so joyful to, and wonderful to see these, these people who have gone, have gone through the process, have been supported by the community pregnancy clinics, and uh, seeing the results uh, with uh, a family and their young child. That's right. We've been around for 50 years now, so we have a lot of stories of the most gratifying are when they come back with their children, and now we have women coming back uh, showing us their grandchildren. Wow. Um, and so, you know, never once have I heard a, have, have I heard a woman say that she regrets her decision to bring life into that world. Uh, into this world, but uh, there are often the women uh, who come back to us after choosing abortion, unfortunately, uh, who say to us, I wish I didn't do that last time. Can you help me this time? Yeah. And those are just great stories to hear. So uh, something on the uh, Florida docket that we've got the, this 15-week uh, abortion ban amendment uh, or abortion amendment that could be proposed and voted on in November, as I understand it. Can you bring us up to date? 
Yeah, so there are two things happening right now in the state of Florida. And the one is, you mentioned the 15-week ban, which we currently have. Uh, we know that Governor DeSantis has signed a six-week ban, uh, but that's on hold uh, until the 15-week ban uh, is decided by the Florida State Supreme Court mm. about the privacy clause that's in the, um, in the uh, current uh, 15-week ban. When that's decided, and that's expected by April 1st, actually, um, if that is um, you know, decided by the Florida State Supreme Court not to have the privacy clause, uh, you know, which would allow the bill to go forward, uh, then it would be 30 days would be, would be the six-week ban. Uh, would would go into effect now. That's separate from the uh, from the amendment um, that's now gotten over a million um, uh, petitions signed. Uh, it's ironically, tragically ironic by the Floridians for freedom. Um, I guess it's freedom for everybody except the baby in the womb. Right. But uh, that amendment looks like it's going to be on the ballot, and that will need 60 percent of Floridians uh, to vote for that. And that ban. Uh, I'm sorry. That amendment would basically um, ban all restrictions on abortion up until birth. Uh, the term that's used, and that's why that's also before the Florida State Supreme Court, to decide about viability. Um, and effectively, the, you know, the amendment says, and it's kind of very loose language, it's ambiguous, and that's why it's going before the state Supreme Court, uh, where the ambiguous language would allow a doctor to decide what viability is, uh, which typically it's around 24 weeks, but a doctor could say, hey, viability you know, is going to be all the way up until birth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so effectively it would remove all restrictions on abortion in the state of Florida if it's passed. And a doctor also could be an abortion doctor, so maybe have some That's skin, right. have some skin <laughs> they have in the game. have a vested interest, right? The abortion, I call it big abortion, has yeah. a vested interest yeah. in this, right? And it's economic. Uh, we know abortion, you know, for uh, for Planned Parenthood, that is the most successful nonprofit, quote unquote, um, you know, organization in the history of the world. Um, and we know uh, that Floridians by, I'm sorry, uh, Floridians for Freedom, has largely funded by by big abortion. Of course, so they they have a vested interest in this. Absolutely, and the language in the amendment has that already been formulated. In other words, do we know what the language is going to look like on the ballot? Uh, and that's that's what that what's at issue right now is because it's so ambiguous mm-hmm. that the language is being put um, you know forth before the Florida State Supreme Court to say is it so ambiguous that people don't won't even know what they're voting for? Yeah. And again, the the, the main term that's ambiguous there is that viability clause. Mm. Uh, and so the oral arguments were very encouraging a few weeks ago. Um, I heard some of the oral arguments from the um, from state Supreme Court Justice, uh, the, the Chief Justice Munoz, who was actually floating back to the um, uh, Attorney General, um, um, you know, Moody, uh, about the uh, issue of personhood, right? And it all comes down to, you know, when do we get the rights that are guaranteed to us by the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, um, you know, which talks about it's the... Um, you know, we have a right to uh, life, liberty, and, and property, and due process, you know, under the law, and, you know, no state shall deprive us of that. And so when does a baby become a baby? When does a, a person become a person? And that personhood uh, term, I think, is uh, most significant, uh, because we really don't need more, um, we don't need more amendments, we don't need more bills passed. Uh-huh. We just have to enforce uh, and declare when a person becomes a person, and the 14th Amendment, you know, helped end slavery. And so uh, this is the remaining unprotected class of citizens, of, of uh, persons in our, in our, in our world. Um, and, I, you know, I'm always encouraging uh, Republicans when I talk to them, you know, let's be the party of Lincoln again. Yeah. Let's be a party that was established to protect personhood for an unprotected class, you know, pre-Civil War. Uh, let's be that party again, and let's stand up for the rights of all persons, um, you know, and that includes the babies in the womb. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think it was the Texas Supreme Court that uh, said that the uh, in, in vitro fertilization, those eggs that actually were persons themselves. So I don't know how that might weigh in on, our, on the, our Supreme Court's decision, but I know our Supreme Court is uh, pretty conservative. Yes, yes. All seven have been elected by uh, Republican um, by uh, Governor DeSantis, um, or and before him Charlie Crist, who, 
you know, maybe a small R there, but uh, at least they were elected from the Republican side. Yeah. So there's a lot of hope. And you mentioned IVF, uh, Bob, <clears throat> uh, recently in Alabama. How about um, Alabama? You know, it was, there's yeah. a case right now that um, they decided that, the, and it actually it was a tragic case where a woman, um, uh, a worker in the IVF clinic there in Alabama dropped a tray of embryos. Uh, and some some died, and the question was, were, were those embryo, embryos protected? Because the parents of those um, of those babies uh, wanted to sue, yeah, and, uh, you know, for loss, and uh, and they won, right? So the Alabama Supreme Court decided, and this is where you know we say from conception to natural death, you know, it's a person to person, no matter how small. From Horton, here's a who, right? Yeah. Um, but we have to say from not only conception but fertilization. Yeah, interesting. This is pre pre implantation here, and these are you know science. Ninety eight percent of embryologists will say, when human life begins, you know, it's at that moment of fertilization, um, and so those are persons scientifically, morally, ethically. It's the only really strong. Um, uh, argument that we have, right, yeah. that a person is a person at that point of fertilization, and it should be protected under our 14th Amendment of the Constitution. Well, thank you for that, Scott. Uh, by the way, uh, you'd mentioned 50 years. You have your 50th anniversary gala coming up on April the 6th. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, we're so excited because our 50th year is going to be a, a true celebration of life, uh, the 50 years of our success since 1974. Uh, but also kind of celebrating and planning ahead for the next 50 years, right? Because, um, you know, the, the effort to protect life goes on and, and what we're doing and other groups like us around the country. You know, there's 3,300 uh, pregnancy resource centers. Uh, we, we kind of outnumber Planned Parenthood by three to one. Uh, so we want to celebrate that. We have Michael Knowles coming in on April 6th, who's a uh, culture warrior from the, from the Daily Wire. Uh, we're super excited about him coming in and celebrating with us. There'll be live music, and uh, we're really looking forward to that. But that's April 6th. If anybody's interested in, in joining us, they could go to supportcpci.com. Uh, there's an events tab there, and uh, we would just love to have as many people with us as possible to uh, to kind of celebrate life, but also to show that we're kind of winning. <laughs> yeah. You know, the industry of abortion is big, big abortion. It's about cost uh, for us, you know, care, compassion. Uh, they get profit, we get cost, but that's okay because we're doing this together. And in the end, we know, uh, you know, every life we save changes the world. Absolutely. Again, support cpci.org, is it? That's correct. All right. Or dot com. Dot com. Dot com. So uh, yeah. uh, support the, the community of pregnancy clinics. Uh, whether you can make it on April 6th or not, uh, definitely go to the website and uh, hope, hope you'll be able to join on April the 6th the gala for the 50th anniversary of the Community Pregnancy Clinics. Uh, Scott, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob, for having me. My Bye. pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Michelle Avola-Brown. She is the Executive Director of the Naples Pathway Coalition. Is that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. And a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. 
Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. I hope you'll visit the website and get some tickets to upcoming performances. The website is golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, I'm going to visit with uh, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now we have with us Michelle Avola-Brown. She is the executive director of the Naples Pathways Coalition. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning to you, Michelle. Tell us about the Naples Pathways Coalition. We have been around since about 2005, and we have been working to make it safer for people to bike and walk. So we initially started with the city of Naples, got them to do a study on how people were moving, not just in cars. They created, um, with our help, a master plan for expanding their sidewalk and bike lane network. And we then expanded beyond that to Collier County, got both the city and the county to adopt complete streets policy, which um, is uh, a plan for when you improve a road, when you add a road, that you have to also look at accommodating all road users, not just vehicle drivers. So that means we've gotten miles and miles and miles more um, sidewalks and bike lanes. But we made a pivot uh, in about 2018 and really started shifting to multi-use pathways. These are 10 to 12 foot wide, paved and separated from the road that accommodates all types of bike riders, people walking, running, pushing strollers, walking their dogs. And our big, um, big keystone project is the Paradise Coast Trail, which will be an 80-mile paved wow. um, separated trail connecting Naples to uh, Marco Island, Collier Seminole State Park, Benita Springs, Ave Maria, and Immokalee, and it will go beyond to other counties past us. A terrific organization, and appreciate everything that you're doing. I will say that I was uh, an avid biker for years. I rode my bike 6,000. I always set a goal of 6,000 miles a year, and I achieved it most years. I actually wow. stopped biking because of distracted drivers. I'd see people with the, on their cell phones. And in other words, I, I, I literally was scared out of my one of my favorite hobbies, and now you're trying to do something about it. Absolutely. Um, so we have been pushing for hands-free cell phone legislation in Florida. There are already 29 other states that have this life-saving legislation. Just last year in April, Ohio passed this law. And in the six months that followed, they had a 25% reduction in road fatalities. Hmm. And Florida is the worst for pedestrian deaths and for cyclist deaths. Florida drivers kill more pedestrians and more cyclists than any other state. Wow. And every day, on average, nine people die on Florida roads. Six of those tragic deaths are due to distracted driving. So this is a huge problem in Florida. There can be things done. We just need to get more of our legislators to work with us to help make it happen. Do you have resistance in Tallahassee? Are, are people actually standing in the way of this? We had tremendous success on the House side. So I made three trips up to Tallahassee to testify before three different House committees, and we got unanimous yes from all three committees. Huh. Unfortunately, we didn't see any action on the Senate side. 
And we're really not sure why. Um, we've had bipartisan support when the uh, there was polling done in 2017 or 18, I believe, when um, we were behind pushing for this in the past and what ultimately resulted in texting and driving becoming a primary offense. Um, voters, it was either 85 or 89 percent mm-hmm. voted in favor of having this legislation. So even though it is a pervasive problem, and people admit to me all the time (laughs) that they are streaming videos, they are doing Amazon shopping, they're reading emails, they're doing all sorts of stuff that they shouldn't be doing behind the wheel, they agree, yeah, I I really need to stop this. This this is dangerous. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate your efforts. And uh, what can our listeners do to support your efforts? Well, we have a petition going. Um, people can go to handsfreeflorida.org and sign the petition there. We're working on getting 10,000 signatures. Um, we're not getting it through this legislative session, but we're very confident that we can for the next session. But having all those signatures behind us, um, that's going to make it, it hard for legislators to, to ignore this and not get it on the agenda. So, again, that's handsfreeflorida.org. And just a little bit of information to fill out. It takes less than a minute to sign the petition. And then the biggest thing, just put down your phones when you're driving. Get a phone holder. Put it in a cup holder. Connect it to your Bluetooth. Use it in speaker mode. We're not saying that you can't use your phone. We just don't want people to be holding it in their hand and looking at it instead of looking at the road and potentially the people in front of them that, that whose lives could be lost if they are distracted. And I'll also add, just make sure that you're giving at least three feet between yourself and a bicycler or somebody on a bicycle because that's, uh, that's the law, if I'm not mistaken. It is the law, and three feet is such a small amount of space. Yeah. It really should be double. If you, if you think of a vehicle, which... All these electric vehicles are even heavier. Yeah. That going past you, the wind that yeah. kicks up between the vehicle and the person on the bike, um, yes, by all means, uh, just just change lanes. Just slow down a little bit and, and just change lanes. Absolutely. Um, it is legal, even if you're in a no-passing zone and if there is a cyclist beside you, you are allowed to um, pass into the oncoming lane, obviously, with no oncoming traffic to pass the cyclist. Okay, again, the, the website is handsfreeflorida.org, handsfreeflorida.org. Uh, go to the website, uh, sign the petition, and support this uh, terrific effort. Again, Michelle Avola-Brown, uh, Executive Director of the... Uh, uh, I've got... Naples Pathways Coalition. Yeah. Hey, and we have something fun coming up on Sunday. Can I tell your listeners about it? Real quick, sure. Okay, well, this Sunday, March 3rd, at Cambier Park on the softball field, we are hosting our 18th annual TD Bank Naples Bike Brunch and Walk. We start with breakfast and coffee, and then folks can head out on either a 62-mile, 30-mile, 20-mile, 10- or 5-mile bike ride, or we have a 3-mile walk. We've got rest stops along the way. We've got bike shops following behind in case anybody has issues. And then when everyone gets back, we have a really fun after party with lunch catered by Jason's Deli, music, raffle prizes, uh, beer, all sorts of fun stuff. That sounds so great. You'll come out and join us. Uh, so how, uh, do you just show up or can, do you need to, where can we get more information? Um, have them just go to our website. Just go to naplespathways.org and you'll see it right on the uh, on the top there. Click on it, and it'll take you to the registration link that has all the information about the event. Thank you, so Michelle. NaplesPathways.org. Thank you, Michelle. Really appreciate your commentary on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. All right. Thanks, Bob. Have a great day. You as well. Thank you. All right. Coming up, going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? 
Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, the author of about a dozen books, his latest, which is just terrific, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. Professor Bell, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. And Bob, thanks for having me on again. Always a pleasure. Now, you write a column also, and it comes out a couple of times a week. It's called On Point. You can find it on Newsmax.com. Newsmax.com. Your latest are Energy Deals with Chinese Oligarchs, Key and Biden Probes. Very interesting. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, Bob, you know, We've been discussing a lot of these things recently, and it uh, seems like there's an awful lot going on now. And uh, the article, that, uh, that that recent article about the really the Biden family connection with, you know, Burisma and, and Ukraine was a, was a corrupt energy company. And, and the 10% for the uh, ownership, you know, of stock for the, the big guy was, you know, a Chinese energy company and so on. So... Uh, you know, it seemed like so much of so much of what we were reading about and hearing about was tied to you know oil deals, and it was you know I mentioned it's really pretty ironic when when uh, there's been this war against fossil energy in the in our country, and yet it seemed like these deals were attempting to in, to strengthen oligarch and and uh, adversarial control over our our own oil resources and, yeah. and then you of course you add to that the you know our you know the, i didn't mention this but recently you know, i've written about it but the you know the lng uh, uh ban now you know we're we're really cutting off europe at a time when they're desperately tied to uh russia for you know for natural gas and and oil and of course, China's buying a lot of the a lot of the oil uh, and gas from from Russia, and uh, and that that money goes to you know support Russia's war in in Ukraine. So you know all this ties together, and then we now we're hearing the results of you know the uh, uh, the investigation, the uh, interviews with with. Hunter Biden and and uh, which confirms what we what we knew before, but you know he has a WhatsApp conversation mm-hmm. communication with his uh, Chinese uh, contact, the EFC again, the oil company, and 
threatening. He said, I'm sitting here with my father, and you know, unless you unless you essentially pay up, uh, there's going to be hell to pay. My, my you know, my my father, uh, you know, is a, is a, not going to tolerate this, and uh, and an attempt, and, and then he gets he gets millions of dollars nine nine days later. Yeah, and, and they, when they during the inquiry, you know, he was trying to weasel out of that, but kind of silly. Well, he thought, what? Well, maybe I was high or on, you know, I was on drugs or drunk or whatever, and it went to the wrong, you know, person, et cetera, et cetera. My dad wasn't really with me, and yeah, you know, so he there's so the drunk high guy sending a sending a message to the wrong person, and they sent him. You know, $5 million nine days later. You know, I mean, you should all be drunk and high and texting to, uh, you know, to Chinese people we don't know. So, so it's just, a, it's just a zoo. And, yeah. and, uh, and then you have the, you know, the, the Democrats running out of the meeting every, you know, every half hour saying, oh, nothing to see here, nothing to see here. And, uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's eye bleeding mm-hmm. to watch this. And, uh, and it's it's hard to it's hard to comprehend that we have a, such a compromised head of head of state uh, who's who's getting you know uh, money from from countries that are hostile to us uh, and money to, to really extend the Belt and Road project into the U.S. from China. And uh, take control of our our resources, and it kind of harks back to uranium one with the Clintons, where oh. we're selling our, our uranium to through Canada to Russia. You know, you really, really, really begin to wonder who's on our side. You know, it's exactly the words that I was thinking myself. I mean, it, I was thinking, whose side is he on? And it certainly doesn't appear to be on the side of uh, the American voter, the American citizen. I mean, with the open borders, with all the things that are going on right now, we're diminishing the importance of being an American and uh, increasing uh, his pocketbook, fr- frankly, among other things. I'll give you a little heads up on an article I'm writing. It'll, it'll be posted on Monday. It's an interview with a 20-year FBI veteran. And he a very senior FBI person who who I'm interviewing with this article about how how the FBI has been weaponized and changed and so on. And and sadly, you know, not only for the country, but also for the agents. And and he talks about how how, how that whole culture has changed over time. Mm. Uh, and uh, it's really, really insightful. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, the weaponization... And I'm talking, of course, about the seventh floor of the FBI headquarters in Washington. I'm not talking about the rank and file people that really try to protect the country. And but you know, we have people that are real patriots that want to protect the country. Remember the old G-men, you know, under you know Jagger Hoover and so on. We always thought we knew who the good guys were, and uh, not that Hoover was the <laughs> paradox of virtue necessarily, but but. A paradigm, rather, and he was maybe a more of a paradox than a paradigm, but um, but you know the the FBI has, has been on our side. We always thought the CIA was protecting us, and so on. And then and then you know you know fast forward to these fifty one so called FBI authorities that 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 we uh, discussed uh, portended that uh, Hunter's laptop was just Russian disinformation, and yeah. so on. And, it's it's really terrifying to see how uh, the politicization of the Justice Department yeah. has actually destroyed any sense of equal justice. And we see we see this with the lawfare against Trump and attempting to remove him. And now, you know, this um, uh, Jack Smith case seems to be maybe a, uh, unraveling a little bit with the Supreme Court taking up the, the, the question of Trump's immunity. Let's hope so. And maybe delaying the trial. They were going to, they were going to run these trials right through, their, right through the election season. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So, you know, I think maybe things, maybe we're seeing uh, a little bit of daylight here. 
I certainly hope so. Again, Professor Larry Bell, I encourage you to go to Newsmax.com and check out his column a couple times a, po- a week. It's called On Point by uh, Professor Larry Bell. Also, the latest book, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, is uh, My Life by Design, a terrific read. Professor, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Bob, I always enjoy it. Thank you so much. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got some great guests lined up for Monday. In the meantime, I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.